This podcast is for general informational purposes only and represents the individual opinions of Dr. Dimitri Bick, Dr. Stefan de Graff, Dr. Suzanne Mignon, and the guests. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or other professional healthcare services and should not be taken as medical advice or an establishment of standard of care. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The content on this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Please don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe, but more importantly leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Reviews not only help us grow listeners, but also help us grow as a show, improve our content, and make us better. You know that I don't like TikTok, right? You guys? Yes, Yes, you've made that very abundantly clear. I mean, it would be concerning if you liked it. Really? Because it's not a lot a of people like it. It's not well, a documentary, Dimitri. That's why you very, very like good, it. very good. I like that. That's I was nice. More, I was referring more about your age. Yeah, you are the oldest one here. <laughs> I got to tell you, there's a lot of old people on TikTok who are trying to be funny, but I have gone down a rabbit hole on TikTok that I'm not proud of. Um, I am. I am addicted to the scare prank videos where, where people walk into a room and someone like goes, and they record them like freaking out. And there's different versions of these. There's that one where people walk into a room. There's one where like people like, I don't even know how they get away with this, but they like dress up in costumes and like attack people and in, in garages and on the street. And then there's one guy who dresses up like a, a plant. Yes. And like grabs them on the street. Mm -hmm. I I gotta be honest, I sit on my couch and I start laughing so I don't laugh about anything in my life as much as I laugh at these scare prank videos. And these people are genuinely scared. Now it's not it's funny because you know they laugh and it's but but I, I feel like am I a bad person for laughing at other people getting scared? Are you laughing with them or at them? <laughs> I don't know. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, it's not that bad. I, I enjoy watching those videos on Instagram where people fall. Like people falling, baby yes. falling. I mean, that's worse. And they're yeah. funny. It's funny when people fall, man. I mean, wow. <laughs> it's bad, but it's funny. Yeah. And some of these scare prank videos, people not only freak out, but they fall. They so fall I, I get the double. Yeah. It, it, it... I've seen them like run into other people. I've seen them yeah. like go out into the middle of the street. There's there's potential danger there. And and some of them I can understand or they can do it because it's it's clearly not America. It's like in the middle of nowhere and they're speaking a language I don't understand. And you can do that, I guess, there, but I don't know how they get away with it in America. Like how can a plant a guy they dresses do it as in a Vegas plant, all the time? A lot of them look like they're would be in Vegas, but there's some that I don't know, man. I, I don't know how this guy with the plant doesn't get punched. Like, How do you know that he doesn't and that's just not shown in the video yeah. clips because they're going to edit it to make it what they want to? No, I get uh, it. But you know, 
I, this guy's got to have bruises everywhere from people hitting them. But they're so funny. And I was watching them right before we came on too. And it's, it's they're just, I can't, I can't stop watching them. Maria hates it because I do this to her. I just haven't recorded it yet. But I walk up behind her, not on, not necessarily on purpose to scare her. But it's funny because when I walk up behind her and I like glance over and she turns and sees me, she goes, <laughs> it's the funniest thing you've ever seen. <laughs> One day she is going to punch you. <laughs> she is, well, she has once, but it hasn't been in the face. But she gets so mad at me. <laughs> gets so mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and one of these days I'm going to record it. One of these days I'm going to record it. And of course, if she's listening to this, then she's going to know I'm going to come up behind her and record it. And she's going to be even madder. And be the, the ones that I find the most funny are the ones with uh, the James Brown song, I Feel Good. Mm-hmm. Where oh, they, yeah. they're, they're behind them with a speaker and they start the beginning and of that song. It. And they blast it as loud as they can. There are people that have like dropped eggs and like spilled water on. Them. Yeah. <laughs> they're so <Yeah>. mad. <laughs> I mean, I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody would be able to stay calm in that moment. It would work on anybody. Not expecting the sound, the scream. I I guess <laughs> maybe if you're antisocial, maybe, unless you know? you're deaf and then you're deaf and you don't hear it. If you're deaf and don't hear it, it wouldn't work. <laughs> Right. <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that makes me a bad person or not because I'm laughing at these people, but no, no. I feel like a bad person watching these things, but I'm no. still going to watch them and laugh. No. Then you don't feel too bad. Clearly not. Clearly not. <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> well, this week, my children said a word, and I thought this would be a perfect Gen X Explains Youth Speak segment. So let's run that. Generation X explains youth speak. All right. Have you guys heard the word Riz? Yes. You're shaking your head, Suzanne. Yes. Do you know what it means? Yes. yes. Kind of. Tell me, tell me what it means, Suzanne, as you understand it. Yeah. It, it's like it's something cool. It's like they're, they're using it to express like something is like cool, awesome, whatever. Riz. Riz. No, that's not no. what it means. No, that's not what it means. That's how I've sentence. heard my don't kids tell, use it. Hold on, hold on, Dimitri, hold on. Do not tell me the definition yet. Use it in a sentence. The last time I heard it, it was used as a verb because it could be used as a noun or a verb, as I understand it. But the last time I heard it, a was, noun or a verb or an yes. adjective or just a noun or, or a verb. Well, we're. I guess we'll get into it in a second. But the last time I heard it used was as a verb was Livy rizzed up baby Gronk. That's the last time I heard it Why before my kids mean? said. So what I asked, and, and apparently my kids know what this means because they said, I, I said, what does that mean? Because my older son said, told me what it was. But my young, my middle son said that another kid in his class told him that he has the riz. So when it's used like that, isn't it kind of like you have the it factor type of thing? Well, I, when I said, because Maria's like, what does that mean? And I'm like, I've heard this before. I think it means something cool. And I asked Ethan, the older son, and he said, what it means is that you have game. So why not say you got, you got game? Because they're children. Because it's they have new words. Riz. So Riz apparently comes from the word charisma. You've got 
Okay. Yeah, because right. you, you got game your sweet Steph is having mad technical issues today with his internet, so we're not going to hear anything he says. No, no, I I guess, I guess I I was, I was saying that you know there used to be a time having game used to be cool. So I guess it it is apparently, but apparently the Riz comes from the word charisma, and they just shortened it. I looked it up on Urban Dictionary because that's where I get all of my youth speak information, and so this is what Urban Dictionary says. Another word for spitting game, how good you are with pulling and sustaining bitches. <laughs> Literally from what? Urban Dictionary. There you go. New York slang created by a Twitch streamer and YouTuber named Kai Senat. This means that you have game and get bitches. Riz actually comes from the word charisma, whereas where in southern Baltimore they've started to shorten it to Rizma, the noun replacing charisma, and to Riz, the action of showing charisma. Through Twitch live streamer Kai Senat's editor, a resident of South Baltimore, he started putting Riz in the compilation thumbnails and the word adopted all over the United States. When you're able to pull the most bad bitches with little to no effort. So... I have two questions. First... Only two? Uh, well, <laughs> first, why, why are we as a species, as well, are we human, are getting lazier by the day? We couldn't say charisma, so we said Riz, Rizma, now we're saying Riz. Next, I'm going to say re, right? And then the next question, why is your son mentioning re's and oh, okay. bitches and, what, and whatnot? I, I, like, I like the second question, but the first question, Steph, you're the young one on this panel here, and you've never sounded older. <laughs> and you're the young one. Dimitri, you're being very mean today. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> the yeah. one that's being mean. Okay. You're the mean one today. <laughs> that, you've never sounded older. <laughs> I. I what, what, and the set, the answer to your second question, which is the one I wanted to know, and Maria did too, is why are you being, why are you given this ability to riz? Why is an eight year old being why given this bitches? ability? This is great. Look at him. He's got the riz. So, <laughs> but Maria was not as happy as I was for my eight year old having the riz. But apparently he's, he's, uh, he's very popular. So your eight year old got so. some bitches in school, huh? That's uh, that's what we're coming down to here. He's ahead of his time. Listen, I'm not saying anything about an eight year old getting bitches. Well, I'll, <laughs> just using your definition that you read. Okay. You might be oh, a proud boy. papa. Uh, I I am a proud papa, and I I don't know I don't know if I'm very proud of this segment. Laughing at people who are getting scared and proud that my eight year old has riz. There's a story that came out this week that is not good for Ole Miss and for Lane Kiffin. And it just reiterates that coaches in sports in general, but specifically football, and I believe that this is probably in the NFL too, but college football has now become just pro football. I mean, it always was, but now it's like in the open. It's more legit. That's right. And the and the old guard, the the coach the old timey coaches hate it because you don't want to give the players power. But essentially it's it's what it's doing. It's allowing them to earn money. 
but it, it shows that they see them as nothing more than labor. And the story was that an old Miss player who was a defensive tackle, DeSanto Rollins, is suing Old Miss for the University of Mississippi mm-hmm. for equal protection, racial and sexual discrimination, and other things. So very briefly, the story, Rollins, who is a backup lineman whose career has been marred by injuries, and this is directly from the ESPN article, by the way, is seeking $10 million in compensatory damages and $30 million in punitive damages. The lawsuit alleges that Kiffin intentionally took adverse action against Rollins, quote, on account of race for requesting and taking a mental health break, but not adverse action against white student athletes, unquote, for the same request. It alleges sexual discrimination on the basis that Ole Miss has, had not taken, quote, adverse action against female student athletes for requesting and taking a mental health break, unquote. So essentially what happened to him is he's had multiple injuries in his career, which caused him to feel what they write in the article as severe depression. The coaches, when all of this happened, uh, wanted him to enter the transfer portal, and he refused. And when he refused, they changed his position from DT to offensive line and sent him to the scout team. Then in January of this year, his grandmother died, which further exacerbated his depression. Kiffin, who's the head coach of Ole Miss, demanded to talk to him at some point, and Rollins said he wasn't ready to talk to him yet. And then at some point later on, he finally agreed to the conversation and he recorded it. Now in Mississippi, recording a conversation without the other person's knowledge is legal, legal, legal. As long yeah. as you are the one recording it and part of the right. conversation. Yeah. So in, if you're the one in the conversation, so say one yeah. party rule. Whereas in Florida, where we are, it's an all-party party rule. Yeah, yeah. it's an all-party rule. It's yeah. funny because when I read the article the first time, it says um, that he legally recorded the conversation without Kiffin's knowledge, and I'm like, is that a typo? Legally recorded. Yeah, no, it's too. legal. Uh, it's legal there. Knowledge. Yeah. And then I Googled it and said, yeah, I mean, it's legal. Yeah, it's legal. It's legal. Uh, I, yeah. I thought the same thing. Amazing. And that, Yeah, I had to go back and read it as well. Right. Usually that sentence always go with illegally recorded, right? Yeah. Right. But it made sure to specify that it was legal in the article. Yeah. And so this is part of the recording that the transcript from the recording that I'm just going to read quickly. And I'm going to bleep out the bad words, yeah, just it's, like it's, ESPN. You need to read it. Yeah, it's just I like wanna, they I don't want to do all that, ed- yeah, do all it, that it, editing it, again. It, but it is so bad that you need to read it because people it's need bad. to have context. It's really bad. Yeah. Quote, okay, you have a bleeping head coach. This is a job. Guess what? If I have mental issues and I'm not diminishing them, I can't not see my effing boss, Kiffin said, according to the lawsuit and the audio recording. Quote, when you were told again and again the head coach needs to see you, wasn't to make you practice, wasn't to play a position you don't bleeping want to, okay? It was to talk to you and explain to you in the real world, okay? So I don't give a bleep what your mom says, okay? Or what you think in the real effing world, you should, you show up to work and then you say, hey, I have mental issues. I can't do anything for two weeks, but if you change my position, I won't have mental issues. I guarantee if we bleep and called you in and said you're playing defense, would you have mental issues? I definitely would, Rollins said. During the exchange, Rollins, Rollins is heard saying, I mean, you're acting like my issues aren't real. 
I did say they are not real, Kiffin responded. You show up when your head, when your boss wants to meet with you. It wouldn't have been like this. If you wouldn't, if you would have come here when you kept getting messages, the head coach wants to talk to you. You say, I'm not ready to talk to him. I wasn't, Rollins said. What bleeping world do you live in? Kiffin asked. I don't see why you have to be disrespectful, honestly, Rollins said. Get out of here, Kiffin said. Go, you're off the team, you're done. See ya, go. And I guess and guess what? We can kick you off the team. So go read your bleeping rights about mental health. We can kick you off the team for not showing up. When the head coach asks to meet with you and you don't show up for weeks, we can remove you from the team. It's called being a blank. I'm not gonna say the word, but it starts with a P. Yeah. Kiffin said. It's called hiding behind S, you can figure that one out, and not showing up to work. So that's part of the transcript from that. And essentially what it shows to me is exactly what I always thought, is that they don't actually see people as humans. They see them as labor. And when labor asks for power, whether it's within unions or you know within the context of sports where the athletes are the ones generating the money, but they're not getting any of it, the old guard and the power resists. And this is an example of how they see it. Now, you guys wanted to talk the different kinds of depression, but I wanted to get your takes on this particular story before we get into depression itself. Absolutely. Um, You know, from the transcript that you read, obviously the coach appears to have a very negative view about mental health problems, including depression. And the coach is trying to spin it and make it seem like, oh, it's just because you changed your position and it's kind of like you're throwing a tantrum. When in fact, the depression that he had experienced was longstanding as a result of his injuries, then further compounded by his grandmother passing. And depression can be very debilitating, as we're going to be talking about shortly. Um, I, I think that in the article, it talks about how he was referred to mental health providers after the mom called and requested it. She was concerned about him. And when he did meet with someone, um, they had talked about him needing time off and not meeting with the coach. And it just seems like the head coach just said, I don't give enough. That's it. You're my, you're my worker. Basically you work for me and this is what you have to do. And so it just goes to show you, you know, to your point, Dimitri, the same issue. He's seen as like this robot who can't have feelings, who can't need a break, you know, and apparently it's happening more prevalent with that football team and other teams are more lenient about it, according to the lawsuit. Yeah. And then, you know, I I was going to say that maybe they never saw him looking physically depressed. They did not know, right? He, he never said it, but maybe they didn't, they didn't you know, notice it, I would say. And that's why later we'll talk about how depression can look different for different people and you can have different reasons to be depressed for. But in the article, the, 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 the lawsuit did say that he, you know, he acknowledged or he endorsed, you know, feeling um, a lot of anxiety, a lot of frustration and humiliation. He felt embarrassed. And one of those two symptoms that you mentioned was having difficulty with sleep and losing appetite, right? And then, you know, you know, I, I could imagine, you know, in sports, people can be more violent, more active, more aggressive, more aggressive. And maybe for a coach, maybe for, for his teammates, that might mean him being at his normal, right? Sometimes people, when they're not in sports, they can lash out people. They can use what we call displacement uh, and use their anger towards somebody else or towards an object or, or something, right? But in football or in other sports, 
that aggression may not be seen as part of acting out as part of mental illness, right? So that's where it's so important for athletics team or any department to have people that are knowledgeable in mental health so that those things don't go unnoticed because they could look different from the common population, right? Um, and, and in that case, I think further down in the, in the history, in, a, in, a, in an article, they mentioned that, um, the law also mentioned that the, the, the coaching staff had never had any any class or any teaching, any training into mental health. They had no idea how to to you know depict or to see the signs of mental health. So that, that's where it's concerning that nowadays most teams should have somebody that could see the kind of things. Lane Kiffin makes eight point seven five million dollars, and in twenty thirteen, the Mississippi on field football coaches will make. Fifteen point nine six, so sixteen million dollars, roughly twenty six percent more than the collective base compensation for the previous year, which was twenty twenty two. So Kiffin, if I'm going to interpret this in a very cynical way, of course he doesn't care. He's trying to protect a million dollar salary, and the only way to do that is to win games. So if he loses games, he's going to lose his job. So naturally, he doesn't see these people as people. He sees them as you're the guy who's protecting my job and you better protect my job. Again, that's allegedly, that's my interpretation of it. Maybe we should play the the Goldwater sound for this, but it's not a diagnosis. It's just my interpretation of the way he sees his job. And this is not something that is uncommon in any sort of football, the NFL too, but it's when it's out there publicly and you can actually see behind the curtain it comes across as a little shocking, although I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it reminds me, you know, um, of what we always see in, in, a, in a public sphere, like the, the celebrity sphere, when someone, you know, dies of suicide, we all say, um, we had no idea. It never looked like they were depressed. I, I, I recall, what's his name, Twitch, the DJ that, that was in Ellen. The guy, if, before that, I would think of the guy being the prototypical happiest person in the world. The guy dance and sing for a living, right? Does TikTok and then suddenly dies um, out of depression. And you can't never ever know what somebody is dealing with because looking like you're right doesn't mean that you're right. So this kid, you know, we don't know how he was looking in, you know, when he was in the team. And if he comes to you as a part of coaching staff and tells you I'm feeling this kind of way, I don't think we have any license or any you know any right to say you shouldn't feel like this or you don't feel like this or you don't look like you feel like this right so um and, and, and he also reminds me of that of that say that um you know treat people well because you never know what kind of you know burden they carry you know treat each other well you don't know what everybody else carrying around uh, you know so depression for me it's it's it's, it's a very tricky um diagnosis in, in in mental health because they can be you know, secretive people can can decide to hide their feelings or hide the symptoms out of shame and, and humiliation. Right, and again, I'm not surprised by any of this stuff because when you and this is this is not something that's new in not just in not football. I don't know if you saw the the CEO make a comment about how he wants how he thinks that the labor force should be unemployed at about thirty or forty percent because labor is getting too, they, they want too many things. Let me see if I can pull up the sound uh, while you guys discuss, because what we wanted to discuss is depression and the different kinds of depression. 
And I think that one of the biggest factors that we have kind of talked about just now is that depression, like other illnesses, you might not be able to physically see in a person because a lot of it, it's involving the person's thoughts and how they're feeling and people try to hide what's happening with them as well. And so, although, you know, you might see a person start to do things like detach and withdraw, but a lot of people don't notice that a person's doing that. So what are the different kinds of depression? Uh, There's uh, major depression, obviously bipolar depression, Mm -hmm. and there's depression in other situations. So what have you seen in your practices as far as different kinds of depression? What's the difference between these things? Yeah, I mean, we can go, that could last an hour or two, but we can go um, and see, like you said, you know, the most common thing. First, but I'll say first, I've had patients come to me and they don't know what depression is. Nobody ever told them that's depression. No, We know as common, you know, lemon term, what sadness is. And I tell people all the time, sadness is normal human behavior. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to feel sad when something affects you. Depression is when it comes to be, be, it becomes clinical, when it affects, and the, the key term is when it affects your function in life, affects your productivity, right. affects your interaction with your family and friends, affects your biological needs, meaning you're not showering properly, you're not eating as you should, you're not sleeping as you should, and you're not providing for your family as you should, meaning you're not, you're not going to work. Or you go to work, you get fired because you're not paying attention to work. He has no motivation. There's no attention. Entire livelihood. And I, I put. I have, I have a parenthesis that it's well known that in the United States, depression is a number one, number one reason or number one condition that um, spend most most money on Medicare, Medicaid, and on a disability. It's not cancer. It's not surgery. It's depression. Most people in, in the United States go on disability due to depression. Um, yeah, so that, that's the answer to the question about what depression is itself. And we can go into details about the different type of depression. Um, you know, to piggyback off of what Steph is saying and, and to go with your question, Dimitri, some of the things that I've seen, um, you know, I'm seeing people with varying degrees of mental health problems. And one is depression. I've seen depression in some of my clients where it's been so severe that it's impacting their ability, you know, and because I do the court stuff, it's impacting their ability to assist in their own case. It's impacting their ability to function and to think clearly and to concentrate on things. So it could be very debilitating in that way. I've also had clients where all they do is sleep all day and they're not engaging in any activities. Um, That's what they wanna do. And then I have people with more mild forms of depression where they feel the down, they feel sometimes hopeless. Um, You know, one of the other things that come along with depression and the varying forms of depression and other disorders such as bipolar disorder is we also see these thoughts of self-harm, right? Suicidal ideations, thinking about hurting themselves, thinking about killing themselves. Um, And so, you know, of course I've run across that in my practice. Um, I have had clients who have ended up killing themselves. Um, You know, now we try to refer people to crisis centers yeah, we should mention the alert. suicide hotline. Yeah, number. yeah the the suicide hotline number is nine eight eight. You can call that number. You can text that number if you are feeling suicidal, having thoughts about it, or if you know someone who is. 
um, that number. You can also go online and you can chat as well online. So there's multiple there's multiple ways to get in touch in immediate contact with a crisis counselor. Susan mentioned bipolar disorder, and you know, and I, I was you know earlier they were talking about how different diagnoses in mental health could present with depression. That does not mean that the primary disorder. Steph, we're losing you. That that's just that's absolutely perfect. The per the timing on that freeze was I, we couldn't script that any better. No, we couldn't. We couldn't. You look great. Yeah, you look great. If you, you can look hear great, it. right? Yes, you look great frozen in that position, and and I I want to take a screenshot of that so I can post that. Did you take it, Dimitri? Because Yes, I did. I took a okay. screenshot of it. I don't know where my screenshot went, but I did take it's a screenshot somewhere. of it. Hopefully, <laughs> I will get it somewhere. But and oh. and now he's gone. He's, but there he is. He's back. There you are. You're back. Did you just oh try to prank scare us, Steph? <laughs> that would have been fun because <laughs> that was perfect. Oh, it, it seems like when I when I started speaking, I guess my I, I take the. The, the whole bit of Wi-Fi that I have. I totally um, understood. But yeah, if I feel stuff. free if I'm, if I'm, you know, being cut out, just, yeah, take it, take it um, where I leave it. But I was, I was saying, I think that um, there's different diagnoses that present with depression, right? And it doesn't matter if it's bipolar disorder, and I talk about all the time, bipolar is two conditions in one, is the, is the depression and is the mania, right? But there's other disorders, like the other day we were talking about borderline personality disorders, that also could come with depression, right? People with PTSD, for example, could come with depression. And we've we've had epi episode talking about injuries in sports, like the 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 Mahomlin injury, and when he, when he, when he died on the field, that could cause PTSD, and they could have depression with PTSD, right? M bunch of substance use disorders come with depression as well. That being said. If you want to go and focus on the diagnosis of major depressive disorder, there's yeah, this criteria. Isn't working, Steph. And I think, and we do the CCAPS thing and define the, the criteria, <laughs> take it away <laughs> of the criteria for MDD uh, by the DSM-5. Go ahead. While, you're, while your internet is still working, please tell us the difference between well, yeah, major so, depressive disorder and, and bipolar depression, because it can be summarized right, in one word. I, all right, so now he's frozen again. So I'm going to summarize it. The difference between major depression and bipolar depression is that they're exactly the same. They're exactly so that the word is the same. The same. Is that the one word? The same. The, the, it's same. They're exactly the same. The symptoms it, of it, bipolar depression and major depression and are identical. Right, right, right. That's right. So let me let me play the sound of this guy. His name is Tim Gurner of the Gurner Group. He's the CEO, and uh, they're I think a property developing company. His net worth is estimated somewhere north of 700 million. And this is him talking about unemployment. We're starting to see less arrogance in the employment market and that has to continue. People decided they didn't really want to work so much anymore through COVID and that has had a massive issue on productivity. Tradies have definitely pulled back on productivity. They have been paid a, paid a lot to do not too much in the last few years. And we need to see that change. We need to see unemployment rise. Unemployment has to jump 40, 50% in my view. We need to see pain in the economy. We need to remind people that they work for the employer, not the other way around. There's been a systematic change where employees 
feel the employer is extremely lucky to have them as opposed to the other way around. It's a dynamic that has to change. We've got to kill that attitude and that has to come through hurting the economy, which is what the whole global, you know, the, the world is trying to do. The governments around the world are trying to increase unemployment to get that to some sort of normality. And we're seeing it. I think every employer now is seeing it. I mean, there is definitely massive layoffs going off. People might not be talking about it, but people are definitely laying people off. And it's really interesting that a guy worth $700 million is saying he thinks unemployment should be 30 to 40%. Because, of course, if he's unemployed, who cares, right? But he's not going to be unemployed because he's actually the CEO of the company. But if he were to be unemployed, he's living on $700 million of net worth. He's going to be fine. But you unemploy 30 to 40% of the population and what happens, right? So so he's saying that salary, people are getting paid a lot of money to do very little. The increase in salary this year was 4%, 4.4%. Inflation's like 7 So salaries aren't even keeping up with inflation. And this dude here is talking about uh, they get paid so much to do nothing. Now, I can understand a little bit where, you know, if if you're asked by your employer to come into work or do something and you flat out refuse, that's different. But to just blatantly say that there's arrogance in the labor market because people are asking for things like, you know, normal living wages or benefits from a company that whose CEO is worth $700 million. So imagine what the the, the market cap of the company is 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 exactly why we're having the societal issues, okay? Is that people feel like they're being essentially oppressed by the rich and they're like, they're not being appreciated for what they do because dude, and if I was talking to him, if you have no employees, you have no goddamn company. So, you know, whatever, like <laughs> you're gonna be like, you're gonna unemploy 50% of your workforce, you're not going to have a company to run. So get over yourself, dude. It, it, it annoys me to no end, but this is, an this is an example of what's going on in sports is they don't see people as humans. They see people as labor. And of course, I asked you to come talk to me. It doesn't matter how you effing feel. You need to come talk to me right now because I'm the boss. Like, who are you, dude? Like, remember, if all your players left, you would have no salary. So it's it's short-sighted and er who's the arrogant one, right? Yeah. Saying that they they it, it's you know we're we're you work at our pleasure. So that's yeah, my I, I think that they have there's a sense box. of entitlement with uh with 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 power or, or or money or ownership is just entitlement. You know they expect you to deliver what they're paying for, what they're buying for, and it's the word ownership, right? And some 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 athletes have said they don't like the word owner because it, it it ties down to slavery if you will and owning people if you will and some some athletes take offense to the word ownership let's be clear it's not slavery when you get paid for it no no so, it's not it's not i mean you, I, I you can't, it's not. athletes can't claim they're slaves so let's not it's do not. that it's not but i, I think i, think but I can be, understand whether they feel unappreciated Right, I, I I think the analogy was was whoever said it at one point, let's say NBA or football, is that the fact that the owners treated them like they are they are um you know pieces of property, right? Expendable. They are, expendable. They are they are employees, 
right? My my boss is doesn't own me. Is my is my owner? Is you know is paying my check? Doesn't own me if it's my owner. If that if, if that makes sense. But after like in sports, they kind of do whatever they want with the players, right? They that's I can decide to cut you or make you or, or tell you to play. They're owners in the sense that they own the team, but they don't own the people own the that players. work for them. Correct. Right. Correct. And and so this is you know I I don't want to keep saying the same thing over and over again. But I think I've made my point about this. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be some sense of that. That's why they have player association. That's the job of that body to defend players' interests. That's why you know it exists. If it was really how the owners would want it, there would not there would not be any player association. It would be the owners do whatever they want. And you know, by default, they, they can't. That's why they have uh, they have they have unions. Correct, but I think a lot of it too has to do with the attitude of the leadership or the owners, whatever it is. You know, because if you make your players, your staff, whoever it is, feel that they have some worth, some level of appreciation, I think that's going to go a long way, and you're not going to have the complaints from the players or anything like that with the dissatisfaction. So, you know, it comes really from the top where you have to set the tone and the example and the tone that's being set in some places is you don't matter as a person. You are my employee. You are my player. You have a job to do and I need you to do your job so that I can reap the benefits of that. And that's it. Yeah, you're right. I agree. It's, It's a mindset of the owner and you can say, you actually you can say you're my player, you work for me, but I appreciate you as a person and you show it the way you treat your players. You know, and, and I'm not a any I'm not a business owner or anything, but I know like good businesses, employees want to work for the bosses. They go to work with the desire to work for the bosses That's because right. they feel appreciated. Yes. They don't go to work and work well because they have to work for the for the bosses. You get more out of your employees when they want to work for you. Now, if they have to work for you because you threaten them or you you know you, you treat them like they're a piece of ass, then you probably get less productivity from your employees and your players. There are people that treat people like a piece of ass that are better than the way this guy is treating employees. <laughs> <laughs> wanted to talk to this guy because he has two careers that both mean something to me. One of them I already do, a psychiatrist, but the other is a dream job that I wanted as a child. He's a comedian, and when I was a kid, I watched a show called Star Search. I don't know if you're going to know what this is, Steph, but Neil, I'm pretty sure that you know what this is. Star Search is a show where people go on and do a bunch of acts, I guess, and they get rated and maybe end up with a career, but my favorite part of it was the stand-up part. And as a 10 or 11-year-old, I tried stand-up on my parents, and you can see that I became a psychiatrist instead. <laughs> so you see how that went. Uh, he's done stand-up, written for Howard Stern, other comedians, Mad Magazine, which was something that was a staple when I was a child also, and Celebrity Roast. He's got a book out called Ha Ha History, the first history book you'll want to read out on Amazon. A new movie short on YouTube called Comedian President with fellow comedian Jason Scoops and Madison Malloy, and his own podcast, Stand Up Taller with Al Martin. 
I want to get this right, Neil. Is your last name pronounced Berliner or Berliner? Neither. Berliner, like the city of Berlin. Oh, fantastic. So I've already started. <laughs> totally that up, questions that you should make. <laughs> we we like to do pre-production on the show itself because oh, we're super <laughs> professional. <laughs> so you've done stand-up too, as yeah. I understand from listening to you before. And so I tried stand-up as a kid. It didn't work out very well. I completely bombed. But have you ever been on stage and done stand-up and completely bombed? And what does that feeling feel like to bomb in front of people that are actually there to to see you and laugh? Because I know what it was like to bomb in front of my parents, but that's not the same. Well, the way I decided to do stand-up in the first place was because I was inspired by Artie Lang. I was writing for Artie Lang at the Stern Show. And he said to me... Uh, you got to get up there sometimes to see what it feels like. So one night after working, I worked, I was working in a hospital on the east side of Manhattan and the New York Comedy Club was down the street. So I said, you know what? Let me just get up there. Let me tell the guy running the show what I've done and I'll just get up there, do a few minutes. And of course I bombed, but that didn't stop me. I decided to go to the west side of Manhattan the same night and talk to somebody else I knew. And he let me go on stage. So I bombed twice in the same night the first time I was ever on stage in New York City. And, you know, you have to go through it. You have to know what it feels like to bomb. And then you decide to prepare better the next time. And then you don't bomb as much. After that. Now, when I go on stage, I'm very well prepared. So I won't do a long set. I'll do a few minutes, but I know that the jokes work. So that's how I've handled that situation. How do you know the jokes work? Before you go on stage, I, I know I can tell. Like I mean, I can tell if my kids and wife like the jokes, then they that means they're good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, that's fair enough. If, if they don't ridicule me for the for the material, then then, then okay. I can pull it on stage. You mentioned that you, you you wrote for Howard Stern, and Howard Stern famously has a very kind of raunchy persona on on radio. I listened to him when I was in when I was in New York before he went on Sirius, and I thought he was hilarious, and I loved the show. But can you tell us what Howard Stern is like in real life and not on the radio? Well, he's very organized and he's very smart, professional and funny. And, uh, you know, he's demanding. He wants everything done very tightly on the show. And um, he's a nice guy. And, yeah, you know, people ask me about Howard Stern all the time. But my perspective with Howard Stern is different than if some fan walks up to him on the street and tries to talk to him, you know. So right. So what is he really like? He's he's like he's a certain way with certain people, you know, just as everybody is, you know. So, I mean, I provided some content on the show once in a while, and as a matter of fact, and I'm going to be doing it again too. I just uh, after several years, I submitted something two weeks ago, which will be on the show. So that's very good show. Second coming with the Stern show coming up. Nice. But awesome. yeah, to answer your question, you know, it, from my perspective, he's a great guy. You know. Okay. Do you have a do you have a favorite Howard Stern story that that you can share that is meant for radio or podcasting? Favorite story, um, or the best story? Well, um, you know, I brought this character, an old white rapper, old white rapper from Queens, onto the show, and her name was Fruity Nutcake. Stage name was Fruity Nutcake Rapping Granny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the Stern Show had uh, this thing, this orgasm machine called the Sibian. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but yeah, you'd have the strippers come on and get on the Sibian. And it was wild. But then uh, Rap and Granny wanted to go on it one morning. So she went on it and 
Howard later said that it was his favorite Sibian segment ever when Rapping Granny went on the Sibian. And how old is Rapping Granny? Well, she was in her 70s then. She passed away, passed away about five years ago, I think. So she was well into her 70s when she did that segment. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. And it's not on Pornhub, is what you're saying. Exactly. Didn't make it to didn't make it to Pornhub. Okay. No, okay. No. Along with all the other Sibian videos. And I have no idea why I would know that. I was going to ask you that. I was a little. Uh, There's no reason for me to know. Inquiring minds, inquiring minds want to know. Don't be disturbing. I agree. I agree. You've also done roasts. Yeah. Uh, you've done William Shatner, Flavor Flav. Who's your favorite to have roasted? Well, I did some Stern show roasts to start. So I roasted uh, Andy Dick on the show, Artie Lang, Gary, who's you know Baba Booey on the show, and uh, Ronnie, the limo driver. And then um, Artie invited me to write for the Comedy Central roast of William Shatner. Uh, my favorite one, well, the funniest story about me roast writing is uh, for the Matt Lauer roast. It was a Friars Club roast. It wasn't televised. It was in Manhattan. And one of the roasters was Katie Couric. <laughs> and she asked the writers to come up with a little known fact about Matt Lauer. Now, this was before the Matt Lauer sex stuff came out. And I wrote a line that was uh, a little known fact about Matt Lauer is that he loves to eat curry. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so people now, Ann Curry, she was on the day. So her napkin went in front of her and 1500 people hit the deck. And it was an old, the line was in all the newspapers the next day. So that's, that's by far my most famous gross line. There's a joke somewhere here why he doesn't like curry so much, but. I won't say. I'll let Dimitri say it. Okay. I'm, not, I'm not saying anything. I'm, I'm That's good. Best is to keep quiet about it. I'm going to drink my coffee. This, this is a family show, more or less, apparently, but not this segment, apparently. Is there, is there any kind of behind the scenes of a roast that you can, that you can give us? Like, what's it like back there? Because I've watched a lot of them and I've watched, I don't remember his name, but the, the guy who considers himself the roast Great. master. Oh, Jeff Ross. Yeah. Jeff or Ross, or maybe it. maybe as different way. Is there any any? Do you know of anyone that ever got upset with a joke? Anybody that took it the wrong way, either off. Well, yeah, or well, on yeah. Camera? Amy Schumer once did a joke on Johnny Knoxville from um from Jackass. Uh, Jackass, and one of the Jackass guys had recently died, and Amy Schumer says, "Well, you know, it should have been you," and everybody just stared at her like, "Oh, what is this? It wasn't really even a joke." So that really annoyed everybody. You you roast out of love, so yes. you're supposed to be funny. But is there is there anything like that goes on? Do, do you tell the people that you're roasting behind the scenes that you're going to do certain jokes? Do you no. agree on them at the beginning before the you only, go out there? The only you thing just do was, it off the cuff. Well, the only thing that I can remember all of us agreeing on was for the Shatner roast. His wife had recently died in a swimming pool, so. Yeah, the certain was off limits. Yeah, that's off yeah, limits. that would make sense. But you know, you have to check. You have to make sure that people aren't going to do stuff that they shouldn't be doing. It. Right, right. So that would have been bad. So that we don't have Will Smith slapping people up on stage. Right. Till, till this day, I don't, I, don't know if I don't know if anything can prevent him from. I don't know. It. I'm skeptical till this day about that Will Smith thing, man. I don't know. I still think it was a, a stunt for ratings or for popularity or whatnot. Go stage. I, I don't know. Well, it didn't do much for his ratings or popularity, so I don't know. For the show, I guess for the no. show, for the, for the hours. No, yeah. and it didn't do anything for Chris Rock either because he came out with a show a year later and a lot of people- Did he sell out? Funny. No? Well, no. of course, he sells out all the time, but the show itself, people didn't think it was that funny. So 
you roasted Flavor Flav. Yeah. And I'm curious because I can see him sitting there taking these things. But what was his favorite joke? Do you remember? I don't know what his favorite joke was, but I just remember what I wrote for him. One joke of mine was uh, a lot of, uh, I was just backstage and a lot of gangster rappers here, a lot of weapons back there. And uh, this is the first comedy event where the security has to protect the audience from the performers. <laughs> okay. We should, we should get a laugh track on here. No, you shouldn't. It'd be more we natural. don't need a laugh track. More, it's more natural. Dimitri likes... Dimitri likes sound That's effects. Right. And, yeah, I do like sound yeah, effects. But I, I'm not going to be mean to you, Dimitri. I'm not going to be mean to you. No, that's okay. You can be mean to me. That's fine. That's part of, that, that's part that, of why we do this. That I, would be the usual. I was told I was mean that, to Dimitri. That would be normal. That's kind of like your guy's dynamic. You're always mean to him. And I think that's what he knows. So that's fine. Yes. I'm not mean. It's not a fun. Stay true to yourself. Well, let me ask you something, Neil, if you don't mind. Uh, so I get that you write for people, you write jokes for people, and that you do your own stuff as well. Do you ever, you know, we are the side effect podcast. We try to talk about, you know, people's behavior, human behavior, whatnot. In your case, when you write a joke for someone and you see that joke being successful or that person taking the joke to, you know, miles that you would never think it would go, do, do you have that human feeling that you should have been the one telling it? Does that ever strike a bone? No, no. I'm very happy to get any kind of forum for my material. So, I mean, look, the Howard Stern show was my first break, and he had a listenership of several million people back then. He still has over a million people a day listen to the show. So it's it's a real thrill. It was, it was especially at the beginning to hear my material over Sirius through my car, you know, my stuff. So I don't have any problem with other people doing my, my material i mean look my life was not set up to for me to be a traveling road comedian okay you know my path was i mean i always knew i was funny from very young but and i, I knew I, I always knew i'd have some kind of involvement with comedy but i I'd had no idea i'd be involved with big venues like this big national venues i'm just very fortunate to uh to have anybody doing my material in in big forums like this and you know, I was destined to become a doctor. I was like, that was the track for me, you know? So I, I'm very lucky in that I've been able to, you know, combine both worlds and get, get involved with both worlds. You're mute. You're muted, you know, Dimitri. I'm you sure just saying is really good, but it's mute. This is the kind of professionalism we bring to podcasting, yeah. is technical difficulties and speaking when you're muted. It was kind of fun to watch you, though. It was... Yeah, dude. Yeah, the hand gestures. Yeah. I'm, I'm a hand right. gesture kind of guy. Um, so... You said that you were funny as a kid, yeah. but you went into medicine. So why did you choose medicine as opposed to just going and doing stand-up? Because I, I was a lower middle Jewish, lower middle class Jewish kid from Brooklyn. And if you're if you're a half smart kid when you're, you know, in the 70s, uh, you're expected to become a doctor, or you know, if you're not that bright, you become a lawyer. You know, there's nothing really else to do. You know, that that's now we have computers. Hilarious. What? Because I said I say the same thing when people say, "Why'd you go into medicine?" I say, "When you're a, a Jewish kid in Miami, you're either a doctor or a lawyer." Yeah, yeah. Jackie Mason once said, "You know, if the kid's totally retarded, an accountant." You know. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was very good friend with Jackie Mason, by the way. <laughs> oh boy! Well, Any stories from Jackie Mason? Do you can tell us? Uh, let's see, Jackie Mason stories. Well. 
you know, he has this daughter, Sheba Mason, that he never admitted to being his daughter. And I wound up doing some shows with her. And I brought Jackie's book, which he signed to me. He wrote to my most devoted fan, your pal, Jackie Mason. And I showed it to Sheba. I said, see, your father liked me. <laughs> but she was cool. She was cool. She was cool. <laughs> he was a genius. Jackie Mason was a genius. He, you see, he helped me get through med school. Me and my, my roommates and I played his albums constantly in med school. And we quote his stuff and we really took a liking to him. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you a good story about Jackie Mason. He had all those Broadway shows later on, like I guess in the 80s and 90s. And one day I was backstage with him. I said, Jackie, you know, I have all your old albums on, on back then it was cassette, I guess. I said, do you want, do you, do you have them? Do you want them? He goes, yeah, bring them in. And he listened to all of them and he added stuff to his show that he had forgotten from his own albums after I gave him that stuff. And so he did that on stage? Yes, yes. Yes. Excellent. Who's, yeah. is he your favorite comedian of all time? You know, people, you know, it's like, you do a sports podcast, right? It's like sports. You have different eras for different favorites, right? So, you know, when I was a kid, you know, Tom Seabrook, his poster was on my wall. I and mean, as you go on, you know, different people influence you. So the same is true of comedy. So my early influences were people like Johnny Carson, for sure. He's probably number one. Uh, Woody Allen, Alan King. Uh, people I used to see on Ed Sullivan back then. Ed Sullivan was a show, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sunday night. Yeah. Sunday night, all of America watched. Dimitri, you would know. I would know because I'm the old one in this. In this <laughs> you <group>. are. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I mean, that... I wasn't alive for that, but I do know what it is. Yeah. So who's your favorite modern comedian then? Well, I like a lot of people. I like Jim Gaffigan very much. I like some guys you may not even have heard of. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Gianmarco Ceresi. He's excellent. No. Nope. Um, I'm more in the New York camp than the L.A. camp, so I know a lot of New York comedians. Um, you mentioned Jason Scoop. Jason Scoop is going to be a really big star. And I met him 10 years ago. We were doing shows together, mostly on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And after the first or second time I worked with him, I went up to him and I said, Jason, you are going to be very effing famous. And he looked at me, he said, yeah, thank you. People have told me that. And when he said that to me, I, I was thinking, well, people tell you that, but I'm going to try to be involved. I'm going to do a project with you someday. You are really good. And that's how I um, eventually came to write uh, Comedian President. And he does Jason, very good impressions. He's a master. Yeah. Jason is a master impressionist. That's he, good, won, yeah. he won Dana Carvey's show called um, First Impressions. It was a TV contest. He's an incredible impressionist. He can impersonate anybody. And he, you saw the film. I mean, he, he uh, totally nails it. You know? So I wrote this film for him. And I spent three months early this year. I mean, put my heart and soul into it. I produced it. I wrote 95% of the jokes. And uh, I even bought the props. I did the graphics and the music, everything. So I was very happy with that project. But you're going to definitely hear a lot about Jason Scoop. How old is he? He looks young, like in his 20s. Jason Scoop. How old is he? He's 31 now. Oh, 31. Okay. He's young. So I wanted to ask you about the different eras because you mentioned that. What joke did you write or that you've heard back when you started that you don't think you could write now or perform now? Because it might be politically incorrect or something. For whatever reason. I don't know. I mean, look, most jokes that most people like me write are throwaways. They're they're topical jokes, like I, monologue jokes. So I used to write for a show in L.A., uh, like a Tonight Show format show. And um, 
you know, there are five categories of monologue jokes, basically, which would be 100% of what you hear on any late night monologue. There's current events, sports, celebrities, science, technology, and then one-offs, like weird stories that'll happen in the news. So the point I'm making is that 99% of the stuff I write is good today, but has a shelf life of like a week or two, okay? So there are some jokes that are, we call them evergreen. They're good, they're good forever, you know? Right, but, but there's got to be something that you would have mocked in current events 30 years ago. Well, yeah, well, I don't know. That you can't mock now. That you that can't. You, well, the, the issue that you, that you wouldn't be able to write. Well, you, you, well, well the issue becomes, do you want to take on, you know, do you want to write whatever you think or do you want to, um, you know, bow to political entities that don't want you to say whatever you want? Right. So I've never really done that. I don't really care what people think of what I write. If they don't like it, they don't have to listen to it. So I, I'll write anything I want. But to answer your question, I'll go back on Facebook. They have Facebook memories every day. And I'll look at my, you know, jokes from you know 15 years ago 12 years ago whatever and some of the political jokes i don't even remember what i was talking about the names are just so in the past as i say they were just throwaway jokes at the time and yeah there are some politician names who don't mean anything anymore um, so but there, there's nothing i would not say today i wouldn't i wouldn't throw away a joke today because it might offend somebody let's put it that way i don't i don't, I don't care about that Speaking of like offending people or maybe doing some cruel things, we were talking earlier um, today about scare pranks and how that's very big now on YouTube um, shorts and Insta reels and TikTok of all of these scare pranks, whether it's in an elevator and somebody goes ballistic in an elevator, scare people, or whether it's the tree people like we see sometimes in Vegas and they jump out and scare people. What are your thoughts about scare pranks? Comedy? Well, well the tree thing happened to me in San Francisco about 25 years ago. And it scared the hell out, of, hell out of me. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. And that's where I draw the line. If something's going to hurt somebody, then I don't advocate it. Okay, so I'm very much against those kind of things. And, you know, those guys who do that tree thing or other things like that, they don't know the health condition of the victim. So, I mean, that's tantamount to um, assault, if you think about right. it. I mean, if somebody You're not a scare it, prank fan. I'm not, I'm not a fan of it. He's a, he's a victim. He just said it. He's a victim. Uh, well, he's I was a, a victim, victim of a scare prank. It uh, could but be even very aside from me, But even aside from me having been a victim, I feel for the other people who are victimized. And as I said, you know, it really could be, you know, dangerous health-wise to somebody. So that's why. So, but not so even it does like... make me a bad person to laugh at these things. No. I go down no, I mean, it's hole. funny. Look, it's funny to watch somebody falling down the stairs. All right. It's just funny. Now. It evokes all kinds of bad stuff enough in us, but the visual is funny. And I'm thinking about, I'm laughing because I was thinking, I'm thinking about when I was a kid, I, in my apartment building, some woman fell down the stairs and we all cracked up and it just, it's a funny visual. Is it, is it nice to be laughing at that? Probably not. Probably. Yeah. Right. You know, okay, I think it's I'll, debatable. I'll I think it's debatable, but you know, even when you were saying, you know, about how, you know, health-wise it could be dangerous with the scare pranks, right? If a person has a heart condition you don't know about, or like there was um, a child with autism spectrum disorder that made some news as well that they did a scare prank on. And, you know, the person doesn't know who they're encountering. But I've also seen in some of the TikToks um, where a person basically jumps up and now they're going into the middle of the street because they're terrified. They can get hit by your car. Absolutely. There's all sorts of sorts of things. Is it funny to watch? Yes. 
Yes. It's funny to watch. It's funny I'm to sorry. watch. It's funny. But I, mean, I think I don't think that it's I've been a victim of a scare prank at some point on Vegas. I didn't have as bad of a reaction as I thought I probably would have had if that happened yeah. to me. But, um, you know, I didn't die. I didn't have a heart attack. None, none of that. It can be scary for people and you yeah. don't know um, who you're encountering. Yeah. I mean, also, uh, it plays into the comedy like idea of better you than me. Like, it's okay if it happens to you. Like the community, the audience can watch it happening to you. Like when that tree thing happened to me, you know, there's a bunch of people watching. Yeah. The victim. I'm thinking like, what are all these people looking at? Well, I, I, I said to myself, why are they staring at me? What are these people staring at me for? And then, you know, the guy did it, you know. I right. it so it's sort of like, it's sort of like roast. It's like we're all, you know, benefiting from the one person's problem. Yeah. One person's problem at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, I guess, I guess it's, it's, it sells because what, what's the show called? Um, AFV, American Phineas Videos or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, America's Funniest Videos. Right, right. They, yeah. they, maybe 90% of their videos are people following, right? And that's, that's popular. He was saying that, that a big portion. 90% of, of those follow. videos are people the, following. The following, the following. following. Yeah, they're all the right, same yeah. thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. I mean, the comedians don't really think of that as comedy. I mean, we don't, comedians don't discuss that show ever. You know, it's just a, it's a prank <laughs> show. Like, it's a one joke I show. I was going to say, as a comedian, you probably don't think those things are funny because it's not comedy. It's not people writing. There's no lines. work. There's no right. work on it's it. Not, there's no work to it. There's no. It's not written. Right. It's not written. right. There's no. There's it's no, really no. incidents that happen to people that the consequences that some people are going to laugh at it and find it funny. Right. But as you say, it's so repetitive, though. So. I mean, if yeah. it has an audience, many people thing. have an audience. But. Yeah, I guess that's why I find it funny, because it's probably <laughs> the same. Uh, and speaking of things that aren't funny, but comedy, has. do you ever try out material on patients? No. No? You never, you never told patients. a joke? No. And... Well, look, I will tell a joke if it's in the context. I won't tell a joke to try out material on a patient, let's say. But I've always told jokes. It's part of who I am, and, you know, if it can increase rapport with a person, with a patient, I might do that, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and there are some patients who look me up, they know all about what I do. And overwhelmingly, they're, I mean, no one's ever complained to me. Oh, you're a comedian. You shouldn't you be more of a psychiatrist or professional. No, nobody, no one's ever said that to me. They're, they're all, they think it's cool, basically. So it's another way to relate to a patient, in my opinion. It only, it only helps me in psychiatry. It doesn't hurt. Well, funny yeah. things happen all the time when I interact with patients and when I was a resident and stuff like that is, has there been anything that's that's super funny in your profession that you found absolutely hilarious that's happened to you in psychiatry or in re residency medicine? Well, you know, that I was like, you know what, I can use this. Um, has it happened? Stuff has stuff happened in my profession. No, but I mean, I can't. Nothing comes to mind. But you see, I write for projects. Like somebody will call me up. You got to come up with twenty jokes on you know Johnny Depp in the next two days, and I can do it. That's what I'm good at. I'm, I, I can hone in on a project and do it very specific stuff <laughs> so um what was my point oh when i first started with the venues I'm, I'm i've been working on you know i've been working at like the big venues i told you about i i, I often wondered like was i was i funny when i was younger was it even funny in school or anything and i i contacted some guys from med school and they said yeah you were very funny one time uh we were doing a c-section when we did OBGYN, and and the attending had to stop for like a minute and a half he was laughing so hard and, but I don't remember that. I don't remember that. So things must have happened. You know, I, I must have been funny, you know, in the context of 
learning medicine and, and doing rotations and stuff. But I don't remember. I don't remember specific jokes or incidents like that. So it was basically you being you making you, a comment right. and other people found it was funny. It wasn't right, it was just me being me. But yeah. people have told me, oh, I knew I knew you were going to be something besides a doctor. I always knew that about you. You know, yeah, you had the sense of humor and you, you know, I also play guitar and I'm in a band and stuff. So that, that people knew that I was just not going to be a psychiatrist and that was going to be it for me. Yeah. What but band I, do you play in? I just play in a cover band in South Florida. We really? call it we call it Joker's Wild because my drummer. My drummer said, look, um, we should, you know, you write all these jokes and you have a lot of jokes about rock bands. Every three or four songs, you should do a joke for the crowd, you know? So, and that evolved into us calling the band Jokers Wild. So when's your next gig? It's actually Yom Kippur at a temple, breaking the fast. I'm not kidding. <laughs> wow. There, there's material all over the place there. I mean, of course. Of course. <laughs> okay. All right. So. We talked about the comedian president uh, movie, but you also wrote a book. So tell us about the book and yeah. how you came up with it and what's in it, what's going on. Okay. Well, it's written by me and three other friends from The Tonight Show and The Stern Show. The guy who came up with the idea uh, is a guy from my high school class, actually. And he's a comedian in Jersey. He's also an entertainment attorney. And he would go on Facebook and say, you know, on this date in history, this happened. And he'd say something about the uh, event in history. And he came to me, he said, we should do a book like this. I said, well, okay, fine, but let's do history events and then a, a joke relating to the current day, the modern stuff. So put a modern twist on it. So I got a hold of some friends of mine and uh, we spent like six to nine months writing jokes for every day of the year, January 1st to, to December 31st. So 366 jokes, including February 29th. And we wrote multiple jokes for each date. So, and I became the editor of the book. I would choose which jokes to use in the book. And uh, it's called Ha Ha History. And it came out on in, on Amazon in uh, January. And it turned out it was the number one new joke book on Amazon when it came out. So, you know, it's nice. Wow. Pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I actually have some, I, I know you're a sports, book, a sports podcast. So if you want, I can read you a couple of the sports jokes that are in the book. Go for it. Yeah, 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 of course. All right. So for instance... Um, January 7th, 1984, two-time Cy Young Award winner Denny McLean is indicted on drug trafficking, embezzlement, and racketeering charges. On the bright side, he becomes the leader and wins ERA and strikeouts in his prison softball league. <laughs> there's the picture. And there's art, too. And there's, there's art. art. And, there's, and there's art. I did on the sports one. Kind of sports. Uh, February 2nd, 2004. Janet Jackson exposes her boob during the Super Bowl halftime show, upsetting millions of viewers who turned into the game expecting to see wholesome family entertainment and chronic brain injuries. <laughs> <laughs> that went along with last week's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll give you one. This will be the last one. Uh, let's see. Oh, February 23rd, 1988. Lights are installed in Wrigley Field enabling the Chicago Cubs to play night games. After finishing the game 24 games out of first place, the entire Cubs roster becomes terrified as their maniacal fans can now identify the players by their faces. All right. So we're going to get you out here on, on this. There are five big personality traits that there was a test that was, uh, that was 
designed for five personality traits. And we decided to come up with five big questions related to the five personality traits so we can get to know our guests better. And this is the inaugural version of that. So you are a pioneer. What's that scale called again? It's five. The big five. It was just called it was somebody. Yeah, it's the big five personality trait. Yeah, yeah. That's right. So openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. So are you ready so that we can know you better if we haven't already known you better? Number one, how do you take your coffee? Well, you remember the movie Airplane? Yes. Remember what the little girl said when the stewardess came over to her about the coffee? He said, she said, how do you take your coffee? And she said, black like my men. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, excellent. Is that your answer? I just can't think. My, I take my coffee. Um, I have a latte with almond milk now with no sweetener. I have Costco, Costco yeah. cold brew and almond milk. And that's my. Excellent. What is your default tip percentage? Tip percentage default, I would say. 22 to 25. Wow. Okay. And does it go up or down depending on the service or is it just? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I don't screw people with really bad tips unless it's a horrendous mess. Then I might get 15%. I very rarely go below 20%. Or better. What What about for like DoorDash and like the deliveries? I don't really use the service as much. I don't. I don't. We, I, we like to go out. I like, I like getting in my car and, you know, picking the stuff up. We have a lot of, you know, as you do down there, we have tons of restaurants around them within 10 minutes of us. I, I don't like waiting around. I don't like being like, you know, at their mercy, like whenever, if they're going to show up, when they're going to show up. I would just rather you know, go and get a Do you tip on takeout? Yeah, I do. I do. I, might, I, I probably don't give 25%. I probably give like even 15 to 20%. You don't take it. Wellington has a festival that I absolutely adore. We went for the first time this year, the Bacon and Bourbon Festival. Yeah. Have you been to that? No, but I'm a big fan of bacon. That's right. I'm not really a drinker. <laughs> Next time you come, give me a call. Awesome. When okay. is it? That's, when is it it's well, that's the thing about it is it changes. This year it was in February, but occasionally it's in January and March. And they don't advertise it like you should. So at the beginning of the year, every year, I go to the Wellington whatever city page yeah. and and you and find a search for it and i and i block off that weekend because it's like <laughs> uh, this year it went it's small like it's merchants and stuff but it i like i like bacon and i like bourbon which is something that i have to cut back Perfect on combo. i had i had the most awesome bacon last week at the um seminole casino restaurant nyy new york yankee restaurant mm-hmm. they have this mm-hmm. bacon that they hang on like a clo- little clothesline and it drips, the fat drips into cornbread below it. Oh. It's un- oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. It was killer. It was killer. All right. Last three questions. Okay. What sport would you get rid of forever? Well, if you can call it a sport, I guess curling. Is that, is that a sport? <laughs> really? <laughs> sport? It is oh my God. You, you mean real sports. <laughs> No, 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 it's no it's it's whatever you want it to sport. be. But what's what's your issue with curling? This is it's like it's like a Roomba. It's like it's like a vacuum cleaner there, and, it, oh my God. and they're like they're so intent on you know sweeping that ice and like like their life depends on it, and it's like a total bullshit sport. 
<laughs> All right. Fantastic. All right. What movie villain describes you the best? What movie? Villain. Oh, movie villain describes oh, you the villain. best. Movie villain. Um, hmm. Let's see. Uh, go to the next one. I'll think about that. I'll pass. Okay. I'll pass, John. You're going to pass on the big five? Yeah, phone a pass on the big five. That, there's so many different options. That's, that's why it's a great question. What's the most frightened you've ever been? Most frightened I've ever been. Um, frightened. Uh, oh, I think when I saw The Shining when I was a kid, that movie, I could not look at the screen. I was looking at the exit for most of that movie. It just <laughs> it hit me. It affected me in a way that I, I was very frightened by that movie. The Shining. Do you see that in the theater? The so movie villain, I'll go. What's the question about villain? What did you I see? Identify what, what movie villain describes you the best? Um, that's a good question. Very, very few people stump me on these kind of in these interviews. We've done it. You did. It. We've done it. He's going to have an answer. I see. I see it. He's going to have the answer. It's going to be a good one too. There's a lot of time invested in that answer. Let's see. Um, I don't know. Uh, well, is it because you're you're very very like good villain, or you don't think you're a villain at all that you have to pick one that's not that bad? Well, I'm more humor oriented, so I've watched a lot more comedies than dramas, I guess. Um, There's villains in comedy too. That's true. That's true. Uh, man, I bet it was probably some kind of Woody Allen movie. Um, but are there villains in that? All right. Well, tell us this. What's your okay. favorite comedy movie? It's much too difficult to answer. I sort of like the baseball question, like the eras. <laughs> but I think a very, I think a very underrated comedy that people should see is Broadway Danny Rose. Okay. It's a Woody Allen movie. You got to see this movie. And, and you should see it around Thanksgiving because it's Thanksgiving related. Okay. Uh, Noted. I, I'm trying to think of some superhero movie where I'd be the villain. I mean, I don't know, the Joker maybe in... Uh, you're the Joker? Wow. Okay. The Joker. Hey, Joker. Well, that, that's original. There the Joker's is. a murderer. He's not <laughs> just, well, I, well, he's not really a comedian. You said villain. You said villain. Well, right. villain. You the, forced the, him to choose a villain, Dimitri. But, but that's I think true. It's, I, I think did. It's I did. It's but I, 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 the, I relate, and I related it to jokes somehow. So yeah, you're right. the villain. Because I forced you to answer the question. But this is this is great that you offered a movie from the 70s, it sounds like. This is going to go good with our young demographic that we're trying to get. But, but yes, yeah, Steph, the, the yeah. one who didn't sound old, the, as old as he could be today. But Yeah, but Dimitri, just, you're the one that only watches documentaries. So oh, that's true. And, <laughs> and superhero movies. But, but just to ask you so that we, can, that we can end on this because you offered a movie from the 70s. You know what Riz means with Riz? the young kids. No. You were talking about this earlier. Riz. I'm, I'm just going to explain. It's about charisma. Oh, charisma. Game. It's, it's, it's much more than that. It's about it's game. More it's more than that. Game. I'm using appropriate language. Thank you, Neil, for coming on here sure. and, uh, and being on our show. We appreciate it. Hopefully, maybe we'll have you in the future. Or you just might see us show up at one of your gigs somewhere. There yeah. you go. Or yeah, we'll yeah, just show up at your band. Oh, go to neilberlinercomedy.com, by the way. I'll put a plug in for this. Comedy. Neilberlinercomedy.com. Okay. For all your comedy needs.
time. Day full of hiccups? Need a shake-up? Listen up! It's the Psych Effect Podcast Mental Health Tip of the Day! Brought to you this week by the Dolphins over the Patriots tonight <laughs> at 8 o'clock. We are recording early today, not recording at night after the games because the Dolphins are playing at New England today. And we're predicting a winner. We right? are. We are. Okay. They, they are going are. to win. That's it. We're on, a, we're, we're on a winning streak, baby. We got this. That's right. We are undefeated right now. We are undefeated. We got this. Undefeated. (laughs) All right. Mental health tip of the day. Take it away. Internet problems. So, yeah. So I was going to say, you know, be patient with me. Treat me right because you don't know what I'm going through right now. Right? (laughs) I'm going through an internet problem right now. We can't be mean to you. You actually mentioned that. No, you cannot. Uh, we actually mentioned it earlier, though, about, when we're talking about depression, that people walk around the world, they don't show the symptoms or, the, or, the, or what they're dealing with. So the mental health tip of the day, I think most people have heard it in some way or form or some words, which I'll paraphrase, is that whenever we go out in life, in during your day, wherever you come across with, wherever you interact with, friends, you know, coworkers, people you walk across in the street, always treat people right because you never know what burden they'll carry. You never know what issues they're dealing with. So being the a positive in their life would make a great deal of good. And uh, and that's pretty much it. And hopefully you get that in return, right? Um, so that, that said, you know, just treat each other right because you don't know what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Way to uh, tie everything in a knot with regards to what we were talking if you about earlier. Right and corporate greed. So treat treat people right because you never know what they're carrying around, what burdens they're carrying around. Excellent. Thank you everyone for listening again. Remember, like, follow, subscribe, all of those good stuff. And we've written reviews. We can see you. We know who you are because we get written reviews by text all the time, all the time. Yes. But take those written reviews and put them in apple or spotify or something we appreciate you as always keep listening we are growing which is great and this was always the intent is to is to grow and help help people understand mental illness and help destigmatize it and also watch scare prank videos and at least attempt to be funny and apparently be mean to dimitri and and (laughs) and be mean to me (laughs) and you know try try our best to to be as comedic as possible uh, not as good as professional comedians, but you know, we're gonna be as best we, are, we can, I guess, as best we can. All right, guys, we will see you right. in the next one. Be good and go, Dolphins. The previous podcast is for general informational purposes only and represented the individual opinions of Dr. Dimitri Bick, Dr. Stefan de Graff, Dr. Suzanne Mignon, and the guests. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or other professional healthcare services and should not be taken as medical advice or an establishment of standard of care. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The content on this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.